Uh, hi, I'm Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. Good to see you this morning. We're continuing our message on our messages on uh, explore God. You probably have you seen the billboards and the signs around the neighborhood at this point. So this is really an effective, Lord willing, an effective way for us to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, answering questions that everybody has. Um, and there's several different questions that this Explore God series covers, seven of which we are covering in the next seven weeks. So this is number two, so we're on number two. But if you visit the Explore God website, you'll find a lot, of, a lot more information in there. Uh, so if your friends are thinking, you know, I might be interested in finding out more about God, and they have all kinds of different questions, these seven are just the ones we're preaching on. There's actually a lot more on the website, and uh, it's well put together, easy uh, easily navigatable. It's easy to find your way around. And, uh, and if you have friends that are looking for answers, this might be a good way to kind of build into their lives just a little bit. Um, also, one more push. If you are not in a community group yet, this is your moment to jump into a community group. We are looking to build our community groups. Uh, right now we have three, and we'd like to increase that to five um, uh, this year. And I'd like to use this as a way to do it. If you've not been a part of a community group, you're really missing out on an amazing opportunity for growth. Every community group follows up on the questions that we deal with on Sundays. So if you hear something and you're thinking to yourself, I'd like to learn more about that or I have some questions about that, there's two ways you can get involved. Number one, jump into a community group. That's key because then you build some relationships, you get to ask questions and follow-up questions, and it's really a good opportunity for fellowship. We keep our community groups short but we, we make them so that they're very inviting to guests and to folks that are regular attenders uh, so that they can jump in. Brent Amato, raise your hand, Brent, there. This is Brent. Brent is our community group leader, and if you're interested in jumping into community groups, you can either do that online, say, I'd like to be a community group uh, person, could somebody contact me? And Brent will be the one to contact you, or, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you could do that in person. You can hit him up in person, and he would be glad to take your name down and uh, know that you're interested in our community group. So that's one way that you can get some follow-up questions in. The second way is, if you all take your phones out, uh, I'll show you something that will blow your socks off, all right? <coughs> While you do that, I'm going to cough. <coughs> thank you for turning me. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I would, actually. Thank you. Don, you're always so good at that. Um, see on the bottom it says, <coughs> got it, Sorry. If you have uh, got sermon cues, what you need to do is text 555-888. If you put that number in, and then at the bottom in the subject line, if you would put VC East Sermon, we, we will attach you to a thread so that you can ask questions anytime you want. You can ask them through the week. You can ask them during the service. You can, if you get bored with me, you can text a few weird questions if you'd like to. Um, and we will handle those every week. I'm on the podcast now every week with uh, Pastor Michael. And uh, so we are tackling these questions every single week. So if you have questions and you'd like some follow-up to that, join a community group, number one. Or number two, you can use your phone and text those questions in, and we would be glad to tackle those Thank you, thank you for the water. It's cold, that's good. Subject for today is second greatest question perhaps in the world that has ever been is, is there a God? I want to read to you the very first verse of the Bible. Do you know the very first verse of the Bible? Genesis 1-1? Listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
do you think God should have given us a little more information as to what was before the beginning? Like, this is it. This is all you get. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Where was he before that? What was he doing? Where did he live? Who was with him? What did nothing look like before there was something? It'll blow your mind if you dig into it a little bit more, but God does not give us any of that information. Instead, He calls himself eternal before. He calls Alpha and Omega. He was before the beginning. He made the beginning, and he'll be here long after this world is gone. He lives here for, he lives for eternal, eternity. He's an eternal being. Genesis 1.1, as soon as you open the Bible, the first verse you come across is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why these simple ten words to start off God's revelation in his word? Now, I don't know about you, but I have regular run-ins with God. I hear his laughter in the laughter of my children. I taste his creativity in the crunch of a freshly picked apple in the fall or a masterpiece of a Thanksgiving casserole in the, in the fall. I sense his grace sometimes when I'm at my lowest and I read his love for me in his word. I marvel at his details when the sun succumbs to what seems like to be a million brand new colors over a clear blue ocean. I joy at his generosity when I reveal and I revel in our time together every week because he reminds me that we are a great, powerful, influential, intimate family The family that I get to meet with here every single Sunday reminds me that God is good. I have regular run-ins with God. Some people say that there is no God. And they say that I need to prove to them that there is a God. And so my question to you is, how do I convince them? I mean, I want to convince them that there is a God because I regularly uh, experience His goodness and his grace in my life, this is almost a daily thing. And so when somebody says to me, I'm not sure that there is a God, everything in me screams, how in the world can you possibly say that? Don't you experience generosity and grace and and mercy in your life every single day as I do? But how do I convince them? How do you convince them? And the bottom line is, I cannot, this is sad to say, but I cannot convince anyone of God's existence that is God's job. But I can help point them in the right direction. And that's what I'm hoping to do with you this morning as well. So let me ask you this question. What is our greatest proof that there is a God? Michael and I sat down, as we always do every week, and put our messages together and kind of put some skeleton to it. And um, as we were talking about this one, we sat there probably for almost an hour and talked about what is our greatest proof that there is a God, that God exists. And I've thought on it much since. Before you can honestly answer the, is the question, is there a God, you have to answer the question, how do I know what is real? Now... <clears throat> Because if you don't know what is real, you'll never think God is real. I was in my first postgraduate philosophy class, and I was in there, and I was one of the most frustrated people in the world. I sat in the back row, which is my favorite place to sit in class, and the professor said, prove to me that you're here. And we went through the whole class, almost an hour, trying to convince that guy that we were actually there, and we couldn't do it. He poked holes through every one of our arguments, because we, And by the end of it, I was thinking to myself, maybe I'm not here. <laughs> Took us the entire class 
to find out that we couldn't even prove to ourselves that we were there. Rene Descartes, have you heard of this guy? He came up with this, this phrase that you probably all know, I think, therefore I am. Actually, translated properly, I doubt, therefore I am. Rene Descartes moved everything out of his life, sat by his fireplace, and he thought to himself, like me in that philosophy class, how do I possibly know what is real? And the only thing he could come up with is, I have the ability to doubt my reality, therefore my reality must be real. I know it's going to blow your mind away. It probably, especially if you don't like philosophy. Ultimately, that is a bad method. But that is where most of us fall today. That's where most philosophers fall today. Because you cannot prove the existence of something else until you prove the existence of yourself. (laughs) You're probably thinking, Craig, I I am myself. All right, let let me just give you a little project. If we were to move your brain from your body, where would you be? In your brain or in your body? All right, what if we cut your brain apart and took a little piece of your brain apart so that you could still think and reason, but the most of your brain is here and your body is here, where would you be? You see, are you your brain? No, you're more than your brain. That's just flesh and tendons. So what are you? It's, it's hard to explain, isn't it? We think to ourselves, Craig, of course I'm here. I just had breakfast and 12 coffees. I'm good to go. I've been, I'm, I'm here. I can feel my blood surging through my veins. I can feel my heart beating. I must be here. But the only way to prove that is to start with yourself, and that is what we call a subjective reality. I think, therefore I am. Ultimately, this is a bad method because it begins and ends with self-evident truth. It begins and ends with reasoning that is built on senses. And this is where we run into the problem of trying to prove the existence of God. Our senses cannot touch, taste, smell, feel, or hear God. And so we run into a problem of living in a world where people are having trouble even defining who they are or what's real because we try and analyze God and prove God with the five senses. And that is very difficult to do. Or is it? Here's the reason why it's difficult to do. My senses are limited. They are limited from person to person. Some people are colorblind. Some people cannot see very well at all. Some people cannot smell as well as others. Some people have weird taste buds and they don't taste uh, like other people do. Uh, not saying one is weird or one is the other, but it differs from person to person. Some people don't, just don't function like others due to physical, psychological, or physiological differences. No two people are the same. You are not the same as the person next to you in this room. So, Operating by senses, defining reality by simply what we define with our senses is difficult because our senses will differ from person to person. So they're limited. Number two, you're limited by your experiences. I'm limited by my personal experiences. Let me explain this to you a, a different way. You can go on a certain channel on TV and you can find out all these people who have seen UFOs. And you probably watch those, those channels and probably think to yourself, these people are crazy. They've, they've seen UFOs, little green aliens visit them in the middle of the night. And so the whole show is based on them trying to convince you their reality should be your reality. I've seen UFOs, therefore you should see UFOs. And in order to fix that and make that even more palatable, they gather around them a whole bunch of different people who have seen UFOs, and then they come together and they say, hey, we have seen UFOs, you should believe in UFOs. That's a reality. Now, if you think that's a little off, off uh, weird or off, off uh, we do this all the time. 
Um, one of my favorite illustrations of this is uh, Seinfeld. Uh, nobody watches Seinfeld anymore, do they? <laughs> I know, John, you do. Uh, so on one of the episodes of Seinfeld, Elaine spills coffee on her sleeve. And, uh, and somebody, uh, George comes up to her. I think that picture there. Uh, Elaine spills coffee on her sleeve, and George comes up to her and says, Oh, is that Castro? And No, uh, no is that uh, Art Garfunkel? And she goes like this and says, No, Castro. It's like there's a little stain on her sleeve. Or these ones. Here's, here's one. I, I love these. This, this is an underpass somewhere. Uh, but that stain on the wall is the Virgin Mary. Can you see her there? And a lot of people visit there because they say that that's the Virgin Mary. If you don't believe Virgin Mary's in an underpass, how about in an iron? Uh, if you go to this lady, she'll convince you that you see the Virgin Mary in that iron stain right there. Or how about in the sky? Look up, and you'll see the Virgin Mary. Can you see her there? She's right there in the sky. You see, this is how we create our personal reality, and we try and push it off on others. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, Craig, these are whacked out examples, right? This is, I know what you're trying to say. We try and create a reality and bring you into that reality by getting you to see something that you see but others may not see. But if you look close enough, you see the head and the hand and the, whatever she's holding on the side there. You can see her right there. Let me blow your socks off. There's one reality that has become so popular today that it is in every museum, it is taught in every school book, and it is seen as normal science. This is the theory of evolution. The theory of evolution has quickly changed into the fact of evolution. The problem with that is evolution is not a fact. It is, does not meet the, the qualifications of being a fact. I saw this story, actually, this one was in uh, the Scientific Journal this week, um, and they found, this was on CNN, they put it up on their front page, the missing link in human history was confirmed this week after a long debate. And so when you look at the skull, this is a brand new skull that was found uh, several years ago, and uh, they've studied it and studied it, and they finally determined this skull is a missing link. Uh, between one evolved species to the next evolved species. And then they point, point, point out how the different aspects of the skull uh, demonstrate that it is the missing link. And if you look close enough and they are to demonstrate how this skull shows that it is a missing link, you will be brought into that reality. And more facts, by the way, as they discovered this, more facts were worth sharing. Because this is the missing link, it explains something about the hand. Um, and they said the hand proves that they were swinging through the trees. In fact, the story goes on to say, this finding represents a bridging species between early humans and their predecessors, proving that early humans were still swinging from twee, trees twees, trees, 20, uh, 2 million years ago. Now, forgive me for this, but that's quite a leap. From finding this and saying, here's what you're seeing, let's explain it to you. And now that you see what you're seeing, that proves two million years ago, your ancestors were swinging from the trees. To me, that is a personal reality that's been pushed into the public so much so that we've accepted it as fact. There are so many holes to the evolution theory. Remember, it is a theory because it does not meet the scientific method of being science. I debated whether or not I was going to go down this road because I could talk on this a long time, but I don't necessarily want to uh, spend my time here. I do need to just clarify one thing. Maybe you're here this morning and think to yourself, this is the first I've ever heard that, science is not, or that evolution is not science. 
So let me just take a minute and just kind of put the cap on this for you. We can talk about this later. You can submit your questions to VC East Sermons, and we'll, we'll tackle them on the podcast. Science claims to be defined as observation and testing. That is what science is. The definition, here it is. Principles and procedures for the systematic pursuit of knowledge involving the recognition and formulation of a problem, the collection of data through observation and experiment, and the formulation and testing of hypothesis. Science is built on observation and experiment and testing hypothesis with what? Your senses. You observe all of this cannot be done unless you have five senses working together. Observation, the very definition of observation, is senses. Here's the problem. The group attempting to get you to buy into the reality and make evolution more than a theory has never observed evolution through their senses. In fact, nobody has. Nobody has ever watched one thing evolve into another thing. Now, two species can be combined to make a different kind of species, but nobody has observed one species evolving to another species ever. That's why it's still a theory. It has never been proven. And to tell you the truth, it never will, um, because God created Adam and Eve. And both Adam and Eve could talk, walk, think, reason. They, they were able to do all the things. They never swung from trees, and they never looked like monkeys. They were made an image of God. I want to also say, we have scientific method that speaks against evolution. The second law of thermodynamics. How many of you know what that is? Second law of thermodynamics. If you don't know this one, this is a really good one to know. Um, second law of thermodynamics is made on observational tests. And the observational test on the law of thermodynamics is that something cannot increase or become something else without an outside force attacking it. Unless there's an outside force attacking it to create it to become something else, it will naturally devolve into something that it still is, but less, it will become less of. That's an English version of it, but there's a lot of nuances to this. Here's my best illustration. How many of you started with a hot cup of coffee this morning? Is it still hot? No. Hot cups of coffee do not stay hot. They will get cold. The reason is because the second law of thermodynamics. Everything that has a beginning that is made in an orderly fashion will eventually devolve into something less orderly, unless there's an outside force on it to keep it together. If you take your cup of coffee and put it in the microwave and turn the microwave on, voila, coffee stays hot. You need an outside force. Left on its own, it will devolve. Evolution is the only, only theory in the entire scientific world that speaks directly against the second law of thermodynamics. Why? Because evolution says something began with disorder and became order. Second law of thermodynamics says everything that has order turns to disorder. I have yet to meet a scientist or anybody that believes in evolution that can explain this one to me. Out of chaos, evolution says, comes order. And science in this case, this week, said that their finding is remarkable because um, they've discovered the missing link of us beginning as a premortal goo and turning into an ordered species. 
By definition of what science is, this is not science. This is conjecture based on theory by one or few people that has gained momentum through time, and that's why it's called properly the theory of evolution. At best, what the theory of evolution is, forensic science. Forensic science is a study of science moving backwards. So it's like, for, yeah, like forensics. You, you start with a problem and you move backwards to figure out what the problem is. Like if you, uh, if you come across a murder, you deal with forensics to try and figure out what happened. How did this guy get murdered? How, is, how, did, he, how did he end up <coughs> in this position? <coughs> who had to be here? What had to be done? And that is why after a certain amount of time, you can't do forensics very well on murder because the further you get away from the actual event, the harder it is to figure out what actually happened. Evolution happened millions of years ago. It's no wonder they constantly run into challenges as they try and figure out their forensic science. Anyway, all right, moving on. Number three, science is limited, uh, uh, senses are limited because they can be deceived. You can deceive your senses. And I'd venture to say that a lot of you like deceiving your senses. I do as well. How many of you like virtual reality? It's pretty cool, right? Virtual reality is based on the idea of deceiving my senses so that I think whatever I'm experiencing is real, even though it's not real. And the better you get virtual reality to be, the more deception you can get on your senses. You probably love a lot of movies that I do that are based on deceiving senses. Uh, one of my favorite is The Matrix. Is that too old for everybody? Nobody remembers that anymore. <laughs> Matrix is, the whole thing is to get you to deceive your senses. You, you sit down and figure out how many movies are based on, or how many entertaining shows are based on, trying to deceive your reality. Uh, Black Mirror is one of, the, one of the newest ones that's out. You've probably never seen that, but all based on deceiving reality. Movie after movie after movie. All the popular movies these days are based on deceiving. Why? Because we love to have our senses deceived. And ultimately, that is a proof uh, that sometimes we cannot trust our senses. So, how then do we use these senses that can be deceived, be, change from person to person? How can we use them to prove that there is a God? That is a challenge. And problem number two is this. Modern culture has driven us to engage a sixth sense. We have five senses, but modern culture says, no, you have six. And it's just as valid as taste, taste touch, smell, hear, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's as valid as all of those. And the sixth sense is feelings. Your feelings make your truth valid. Even though I can prove your reality is wrong based on my five senses, your reality might have this sixth sense engaged. It is your feelings about something. And that is why we are very used to phrases like, well, that might be your reality, but it's not my reality. We're so used to that, that sounds normal these days. But in actuality, that is a crazy thing to say. Unless you believe in more than one reality. Why? Because we live in a world where our senses can be deceived, and modern culture has engaged the sixth sense, which is our feelings. So let me just try and blow your mind one more time. I can never convince anyone that there's a God. Are you depressed about that? Can't be done. Because their reality is just as valid as my reality, and if they believe that there is no God, for me to believe that there is a God falls short when they say, that's your reality, but it's not mine. So it is not my job to convince somebody that there is no God. That is God's job. And let me tell you how great a job he does. The ultimate proof for God is God. 
You might say, well, isn't that such a leap of faith? Don't we need evidence to believe that there is a God? That's the problem. You, act, you either have to believe, uh, start your argument for God's existence based on God or me. Descartes started with me. Most of us start with me. I believe there's a God because I experience him, because I feel him, because I worship and I know he's present, because I, I pray to him and he answers my prayer. But that's your reality. You live in a world where your reality is just as valid as somebody else's reality. So the actual proof for God has to start with you trying to convince me your reality is right, or it has to start with God exists and that's where we're going to begin this conversation. And I want to tell you, I think that is the safest place to start. There's a guy named Alvin Plantinga who was a popular philosopher in the 50s last, uh, last century. And he wrote this. Uh, he was a believer uh, who tried to convince the world that God exists. He wrote this. We have only sufficient reason to trust that our minds and senses are rightly interpreting reality if we first believe that a living God has created our minds to function properly in this environment. So our minds do not set out to prove God our minds already prove that there is a God. Where did your mind come from? Believing that God exists is our starting point, and that's not a leap of faith. In fact, I want to take you to the verses that we're going to be looking at today. So if you take out your Bibles, I want to... These are great verses to walk through people uh, that are asking these kinds of questions. Romans 1, verse 18. We're going to start in verse 18. Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now listen carefully. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth? Here's the truth. For what can be known about God is... What does the Bible say there, church? What can be known about God is plain to them. Explain to me something that's plain. A sandwich with nothing on it. Uh, What? A hamburger with, yeah, plain hamburger, nothing on it. My kids love that. I don't understand. It's dry, it's nasty, plain. God tells us what can be known about him is plain to them. How in the world is it plain to them? Here's how it is. Because, what does the next part say? God has what? God has shown it to them. Here's how he has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So that men and women, so that they, all together, humanity, is what, church? Without excuse. The best evidence for God is God. God himself shows us that he exists. He has made it plain. He has given us creation. It is our evidence that there is a designer, a master builder, The knowledge of God is built into our psyche. Why else does every person who has ever walked on the planet has at one point or another or many points asked themselves, is there a God? And if they can't put God, the true God, in that slot, they've put all kinds of other things in that slot. Trees, worshiping trees or animals or whatever it is around them. God's existence is evident to us for one reason, because God makes it evident to us. The fact that you exist is evidence that there's a God. The fact that you can think at all is evidence that there's a God who thinks. 
Genesis 1.27 says that we are made in the image of God. What that means is not that we look like God, but that we represent his character, his attributes in the way that we live our lives. You think because God is a thinking being. You speak because God is a speaking being. You love, sometimes not great, but you love because God is a loving being. You try and forgive. You think that the, everybody knows it's a right thing to do, even though it's hard to do, because God is a forgiving being. See, anything that you are able to do in and of yourself is because you are made as a human being in the image of God. Animals don't get that privilege. No monkey swinging from a tree will ever struggle with the ethics of whether or not they should be like God. And no monkey ever has. That's why evolution is not God's truth. We are God's image. We inhabit God's world. We cannot escape reminders of the presence of God. Even if you're blind, you still know God exists because you're able to reason and think and even then exhibit attributes of the God who made you. God has given everyone this knowledge in every culture, through every generation, in every part of the world. And if we ignore God, we do so with great effort. Because the existence of God is plain to us. That means the second greatest proof for God is you. You are here because God is still seeking you out. Romans 1.21 goes on to say, For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God says it is foolish to believe that there's not a God. Isn't that weird? Does that sound harsh to you? In fact, this is a regular theme of Scripture. In Psalm 53 and verse 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Now, fool does not mean unintelligent or stupid, because a lot of intelligent people do not believe that there is a God. That's not what the word fool means. Fool here means somebody who denies what is obvious because of ulterior motives. A fool will look at something and say, That's not real because they have ulterior motives for what they are believing whether they know it or not. Why does God call those who do not believe in him foolish? Because his existence is so obvious in the things that are made that they are without excuse. James Boyce puts it this way, there is the folly of trying to find another way. What is folly? It is folly because if a way to God has been provided, it is nonsense to look for another. Who would seek a second cure for cancer if a perfect cure had been found? So the foolish part is this. You have to dismiss creation somehow in order to think that there is no God. Creation is our trigger that points us back to God. So here's my question. What is obvious about God from creation? What is obvious that you see about God from creation? A lot of stuff. Think about it. What can you know about an invisible God when you look at creation around you? Well, number one, This God, whoever made all all this, values human life. God gave the ability to humans to be more exceptional than anything else in creation. He values human life. This God values order. My eye only works correctly if all the cells function like they should. If one cell is off, if one thing is, is different, my eye will not function correctly. 
Think about your body. How many things in your body function correctly? Because every little thing has to be in the right place. 23 chromosomes. If you have 22 and a half, it will not function as it should. There is an order to things that God has made. The sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. If the sun was 91 million miles away from the earth, we would burn up. If it was 95 million miles away from the earth, we would freeze to death. The sun is exactly where the sun should be. And it rotates the same way every single year. What makes it do that? What keeps the stars in space? What keeps you, your heart, beating? What does all that? Now, the answer to that, obviously, is God. But to say that in a scientific circle, people will mock you and they'll ridicule you and they'll say to you, that's really simplistic thinking. And I want to tell you, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It doesn't mean you're unintelligent. It means that you're looking for a million other places to start from instead of the clearly obvious one. That there's a God who loves you, who is creative, who is generous, who is orderly, and he has created you exactly as you are as proof that he is just that way. He values generosity. All creation was given to us to enjoy. Isn't that cool? This, all this was made so that we could use it and enjoy it. Your children, your friends, your humor, all of this was God's great generosity. And his greatest generosity was giving his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have a renewed relationship with the Father, free of sin. He values preservation of life. He values sexuality. He values creativity. And on and on it goes. Think about the creativity part. I feed my dog the same food every single day, and my dog loves that food. (laughs) Wouldn't it be really awesome if God treated us the same way? Why didn't God just give us one kind of food? We'll just eat that same food, breakfast, lunch, and supper, and then we go to bed and we do the same thing the next day, every single day of our lives. Why didn't God do that? Why did God give us a strawberry that explodes in, favor, in flavor and a watermelon that tastes completely different? And why did he give us the ability to put a whole bunch of food together to create something that's brand new altogether? And we can do whatever we want with this. We can be so creative. We can put a lot of different kinds of food together. We could, we could put... <laughs> syrup on spaghetti or anything we want. God has given us ability because God is a creative God and he has given us this generous gift where we live in his world where we don't experience the same thing over and over again. This is our great creative God. You can discover much about God's character and attributes just by being honest about what you see in creation. And that's why, by the way, I am such a firm believer in science. I love science, because here's what I found. The more I know about science, the more I am in awe of God. But if you study science only to prove more and more that God does not exist, you have to shut off a piece of your brain at some point and convince yourself of some other miraculous, weird truth that does not involve God. The more we study science, the more that we live in this world, the more we are meant to glorify God C.S. Lewis says this, God made us, invented us like a man invents an engine. A car is meant to run on petrol. It won't run properly on anything else. Now God has designed a human machine to run on himself. Here's the problem. Humanity has stopped seeking for God. They might say to themselves they still seek for God, but the fact of the matter is they have stopped that process. There's several reasons for this. I think there's two main reasons. These are Michael came up with these. I love them. They are disappointed with their perception of the God that they find, or God is not convenient for their lifestyle. 
So they foolishly give glory that belongs to God to other things. They thank the universe or their lucky stars. Or they create idols that they give glory to for other things. Or even ourselves. We have a tendency to idolize ourselves. And the sad fact is we do not desire God because we have stopped noticing Him in the events of this world around us. The psalmist goes on to say, after Psalm 53.1, he goes on to say, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And then he says in verse 2, they are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God who looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand who what, church? who seek after God, and there are none. They have all fallen away. They, together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. This is the passage uh, Paul pulls out and puts in Romans. When he, when he goes down the path of, if we knife God in the back, here's the direction we go. If you kill off God, this is the direction you go. If you stop seeking God, you will fall away, become corrupt, and there won't be any who does good, not even one. We turn into rebels. We seek flawed and fallen interests. But God still seeks for those who seek Him. <clears throat> and that's why you're still alive. That's why you wake up every morning and experience creation, even though it's like three feet of snow in your backyard. It doesn't matter. It's still creation. Even though you're, you're, you're shoveling or you're mowing or you're fixing or you're replacing you are meant to experience creation because that is God's megaphone to tell you, I exist. I love you. I have a plan for you, or you wouldn't be here anymore. True logic will lead you back to your maker. So, what is your story? This can be a difficult message to do because it's so offensive to people who have believed one thing their whole lives and now suddenly are faced with the reality of something else. Let me challenge you one more time. Your reality is your reality because you have chosen to make it that reality based on something. A teacher who told you. A professor who told you. A museum who told you. Your reality is based on your reality because your five senses have told you this is my reality. But a lot of the stuff we're told nowadays may not be real. I'm here to tell you, and I don't have an agenda. I mean, my agenda is right up front. I want to convince you that there's a God. And maybe I haven't done a good job of it, but I've tried. The bottom line is I can't convince you. Only God can. And so every Sunday we point you back to God. And we say, here's who God is. And here's who he wants you to be. So what's your story? How has God pursued you in your life? What disasters has he spared you from? What blessings has he given to you? What laughter, what joy has he allowed you to experience? These are all from God. In many ways, God pursues you to tell you that he loves you. How many different ways has he done that in your life? For me, it's every single day. I have regular run-ins with God. To ignore God, you must overlook his generosity in so many ways. But God has been generous to us. And I want to tell you, this is why God has been generous to us. Paul goes on to explain it. Look at these words, Acts 17, verse 27. God is generous to you, and God is gracious to you, and God gives to you and keeps you alive so you can experience his creation because you can know who he is. Why? So that you can seek God and perhaps feel your way toward him and find him. Though he is not actually far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Every time you wake up and take a breath, 
you should know God lives. God exists. We don't have to wait one more day. We can participate now in the reality of God exists if we bow our knee to the one who has given us life and taken away our sins now. That's why we gather together on Sundays. Every time it's, a, it's, a, it's an effort for us to gather together and remind ourselves God loves us, who he is and who we are because of it. I cannot walk, breathe, speak, love, or do anything were it not for God's generous hand in my life. That's why the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, of which I was one. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I live in a world that does not seek God, and I'm afraid I don't like I should either. I want to remind you, you live in a world where God is still seeking you. He is still seeking to save the lost. And if you give your heart to him, he will change your reality into something amazing. When I recognize his generous hand in my life, I end up giving him glory. The glory that God receives is best verbalized through his image bearers. All All the creation has to do what it's made to do. Only the human being can rebel. I can take the gift God has given to me and I can turn it into something monstrous. A tree will always lose its leaves. A fish will always swim. A bird will always make its nest in the trees or in the rocks. Everything will happen exactly like it's meant to happen in creation. It does through every generation, every part of creation, and every time. Only the human being is given the opportunity to voluntarily worship God, using the gifts that he has given me to bring him glory or to use them for myself. Creation is right now singing the glory of God, and that's why we sing here. We join our voices with them as we sing and bring praise to God. Life is a blessing. All the things in your life are meant to draw you closer to God. Everything that God has given to you is meant to draw your heart closer to Him. Because He does exist. And that is why you do as well. Let's pray. So Lord, this has been an interesting study. The, the nuances of the creation that we experience regularly, that scream to us, you exist. It almost seems so plain, it's a wonder why people doubt. And yet they do. In fact, you have told us we live in a world that does not seek you. And how foolish it is to see the things around us and give credit to something else other than you. I pray, Father, that we would join our voices with creation and voluntarily worship you voluntarily bend the knee and declare that you are God and we are your creatures made in your image. In doing so, Lord, may we worship you better every day of our lives because we begin to live them for the one true and living God. Thanks for our time this morning. May your truth break through any strongholds that are represented yet still here in this congregation and may you convince us who you are and who we are in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen.